Hello, everyone. Thank you for downloading this episode of The Final Third. We have a crazy, crazy good episode for you today. We talk about Erling Holland's world tour, trying to find a new European club for him to join. We talk about the European leagues, who's going to win which league, which league is getting really, really tight. And we also talk about whether or not Christian Pulisic should leave Chelsea FC for his sake, for Chelsea's sake, and for the U.S. soccer's sake as well. But before any of that, before we get to this amazing episode, don't forget to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts on Podcast Addict and follow us wherever you listen to us on, whether that's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, what have you. And follow us on Twitter and Instagram on at Final Third Show. We have a lot of great discussion. We have a lot of great takes there. Uh, Great's a relative term, but you know what I mean. Go on there. Engage with us. It's a fun time. And yeah, enjoy the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another news and predictions episode of the Final Third where we bring you all the news you need to know about MLS and soccer around the world and give you some predictions on upcoming games. Uh, my name is Jack Seeprasad. I'm a Minnesota United, Chelsea FC, Atalanta, and, and French national team and Slovakian national team fan. I like a lot of teams uh, and I like a lot of players on those teams. And I'm joined with AJ. Hey, I'm AJ. I'm everybody's favorite Minnesota United U.S. national team fan and West Ham United fan. And we have a great show today. Don't you agree, Jack? Don't you agree? Yes, we do. Yes. But before we get to that, we just want to remind everyone to follow our Twitter and Instagram at Final Third Show. We're doing a lot of cool things. They're getting involved uh, with a, a lot of discussion around soccer uh, we also have our March Madness bracket that's going to come to an end today. Uh, when this episode gets released, we have two teams that are still in the running to win. And we're planning to do some more bracket challenges, give out some prizes. So if you're interested in doing, I don't know, a Gold Cup Euro bracket challenge, then head on to our Twitter. And we'll, when that happens, we'll post that. And I also want to highlight, you know, an Apple review that got left behind a five star review. Uh, for our podcast from Jordan from the Stateside Soccer Show, friend of the podcast. Go give them a listen as well. And he said, must listen. What a great listen and great show with two of the best guys in the business. AJ and Jack are knowledgeable and full of insight covering U.S. men's national team and soccer worldwide. Thank you so much, Jordan, for that amazing review. If you want to be one of the people that we spotlight for our review, don't be afraid to leave a five-star review and a couple of sentences on why you like the show. And we'll for sure give you a, a spotlight, uh, a highlight in the next episode. Jack, are you excited for this episode? Are you ready to get yeah. into this? Let's get, let's get into it. I'm, I'm excited to cover some of the big stories from this week. Yeah. Speaking of the big stories, that's our first segment where we talk about five of the biggest stories happening in world soccer. And I have the first one. So let's just jump into the very first topic. And that is the Erling Holland World Tour. Erling Holland is a 20-year-old prodigy striker for Borussia Dortmund, and he's looking to leave the Bundesliga club this summer, or at least weigh his options. The Norwegian has scored 49 goals in 50 games in all competitions for Dortmund in the past two seasons, and has been dubbed the next best player in the world, and as such, a lot of big European teams are going to be after him. 
His father and famed agent Mino Raiola went to a variety of big clubs in both Spain and England to discuss with the teams and talk about what it would take to bring Erling Haaland to their clubs. They had discussions with FC Barcelona, Real Madrid, Liverpool FC, Chelsea FC, Manchester United, and Manchester City. I don't know about PSG, but I bet they have to be in the running too, perhaps. Obviously, any team who lands Holland immediately goes up a level. He's undoubtedly a generational talent who will only become better with time, like aging like fine wine. But there's only one issue. He's extremely expensive. Dortmund are asking of upwards of, I believe, like 150 million euros for Holland. And that's not including the agent fee and yearly salary that the buying team would have to pay to both Raiola and Holland. COVID still has a major hit to many clubs' financials. Barcelona, as we covered before, is in major debt. Chelsea spent big last summer. And even City are having a hard time balancing the potential budget cut. If a club were to buy him, they'd have to offload players, or he'd have to be the focal piece for their transfer window. Barcelona may have to sell Messi, Liverpool, and United would likely have to sell some of their talented pieces, and City definitely can't bring Messi in like they are rumored to do. If you buy Holland, he is your star player. He is the person you build around. You become Team Holland, and that's based on his salary slash transfer costs and his on-field production. That's a hard situation for clubs to commit to, and there's also the fact that Dortmund really, really don't want to sell him. They know how integral he is to their success, so they're saying he's not for sale at all this summer. And for prospective clubs to wait until next summer. But if they don't make the Champions League next summer, and I think they're like fifth currently, I have to imagine Holland will push for a move even more. All in all, we don't know where he's going to go, what's going to happen, but we do know that this summer is going to be crazy and wherever he lands is going to be better off for it. So Jack, where do you want Erling Haaland to land, and where do you think he'll actually go? Well, you know, I might be biased here, but I'd love to see him come to Chelsea. You uh, know? I knew you were going to say that. I, I would love to see that, uh, but, you know, I, I'm more realistic. I don't think he, wa- he would want to come to Chelsea right now, uh, just because... Chelsea have a big problem with strikers and have for a decade where we take amazing strikers like, you know, Falcao, Gonzalo Higuain, Fernando Torres, uh, Andrei Shevchenko, uh, and we just destroy their careers. That's about it. Uh, it, There's no other way about it. So I don't think he'd want to come to Chelsea with that uh, in mind. But I, I think the more likely destination would be at Manchester City. And yeah. the only reason I say that is because of the family connection that he has. I was going to say, yeah. Uh, his father played there. That's where he ended his playing career. Uh, because, well, not not voluntarily ended his playing career. But, uh, you know, he uh, they have connections to there. He was born in Leeds, but he supported Manchester City as a child. And I had imagined that that is where he would want to go. Uh, although I think Barcelona seemed to have the strongest link right now, but... I don't know how that would really work, given that (laughs) their wage bill is already massive and they're in massive debt. Uh, And, you know, I think I saw figures saying that the total transfer costs, including wages, agent fees, all of that could total over 300 million. Yeah, which is very, very high, which is very hefty. And I, I don't think even Barcelona, with their bad financial decisions, would take that plunge at this point in time. 
that's that's very true personally where i want him to go is barcelona just because i want Kylian mbappe to go to real madrid and we have like the two biggest talent in the world in el Clasico. that'd be insane that'd be must watch tv realistically i think he probably will stay at borussia dortmund uh, I, well, I won't say it's like realistic. I won't say it's more than 50%, but out of all the options, you know, like you said before, the financials are going to be hard for many different clubs. They might not be able to afford him, at least this transfer window. Uh, but, you know, you brought up Chelsea and you brought up their, their skills with taking the skill out of strikers. And that may have happened again, but also there's a lot of different problems in play with Chelsea this past game because West Brom just came in and kind of tore them apart. Jack, I don't think that's just a striker problem, so tell us what went wrong. Well, yeah, this uh, this game, uh, the West Brom versus Chelsea game, it, it was a rough one to watch because, you know, I woke up at 6.30 a.m. Uh, <laughs> expecting, you know, Chelsea are facing a relegation slide side, but uh, as I've seen at the beginning of this season, whenever West Brom play against Chelsea, they turn into West Brom Alona, and uh, kind of just tear it up. And it looked good for Chelsea at first. Christian Pulisic uh, struck off of a Marcus Alonso free kick, which hit the post, uh, giving Chelsea a lead. But uh, I, I think a lot of what went wrong happened... Well, I mean, it's pretty clear that a lot of what went wrong happened after, two minutes later, where uh, Thiago Silva got a, a second yellow card for something that yeah. did not look like what should have been a second yellow card. It was I mean, so weird. He he made a block, and he happened to, as he went into the block, like afterwards, he happened to step on OK Yokoslu's foot, which, I mean, and then Yokoslu, of course, made the most of it, but it didn't really look like a yellow card, so it was really confusing when, uh, especially since he was already on a yellow card, that he just gave them one. And the other confusing thing is Chelsea probably should have had a penalty uh, two minutes after that, when uh, I think it was Timo Werner uh, broke into the box and just got shoved down and like pulled down, and somehow that wasn't a penalty. And you know, they uh, Chelsea probably should have been two 0 up, but West Brom just started moving the the ball around. They started actually attacking, which is unheard of for a Sam Allardyce team, and they they attacked and had a halftime lead and. It should be pretty easy then, you know, Chelsea just need to score one and try and conserve, given that they're a man down. But instead, uh, unfortunately, Christian Pulisic walks onto the pitch and turns around 10 yards in with a hamstring <laughs> tightness. It, yeah. it's, it, Thomas Tuchel did not look happy with that, and he gets replaced by Mason Mount. Uh, and West Brom kind of just tore it up after that. I, I, I have, like... Three big takeaways, I guess, from this. Uh, the first one is Mason Mount is still Chelsea's best player. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he showed up after getting subbed on. He scored a goal uh, to try and get Chelsea back into it. He made good runs. He's our best player, and uh, I, I'm happy with that. I, I think he's a great player, and he has the potential to be one of the best midfielders of the next generation. Uh, but uh, second is... Jorginho needs some time out of the team. He he's his passing just does not work very well in the system, uh, especially like with a man down. It doesn't work. He likes to take time on the ball and pass it out coolly, like uh, 
Like, take time to to find those passes. It doesn't work when you're a man down and you have a bunch of people pressing high on you. Uh, and then third is, you know, how will do Chelsea respond? This is their first loss under Thomas Tuchel. Will they be able to respond well? Uh, that was the big problem that led to Frank Lampard's downfall. They weren't able to respond after losing. I, well, I have a follow-up question to that, actually, because I was wondering... Do you believe that this is a systematic issue, that this game is a symptom of a larger cause? Or do you think this is just a, a, a one-off blip that's going to get fixed in the next couple of weeks? Well, I, th- I, I like to think it's a one-off blip just because, you know, it's, it's after the international break. Yeah. Uh, players are just getting back into the system and uh, trying to, to work with it. You know, Thomas Tuchel has a very specific style of play. And, you know, switching between a national team style and, 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 and then back to your club team, it can be kind of tough, I, I'd imagine. Uh, so that, that, I think, has something to do with it. And then also, you know, it's the first time Chelsea have had to play with a man down. So it, it, even though, like, coaches plan for that, it, it's still tough to do it and right. for it, you to actually, like, do it on the day. So I, I think that it's a one-off thing. Uh, but we will have to see uh, on, on Wednesday with that UCL game. All right, cool. And with that, let's move towards the States for a little bit of Twitter drama. But it's a bit bigger than Twitter drama. And that's the Josie Altador versus Taylor Twelman. Twitter beef, I suppose you can say. Taylor Twelman was on ESPN Sports Nation talking about the USMNT U23's team failing to make it to the Olympics. He calls it pathetic and was generally, you know, very mad about the USA's underachievement. Josie Altador, the former USMNT number one striker, tweeted responding to Twelman. And I'll just read them out. Uh, he said, Taylor Twelman, national team career was laughable. Beasley should be that analyst or Mia Hamm. Twelman need to be on the extra time radio with Bobby Warshaw. He a white boy with connects. Stop giving him a platform. People like Twelman telling millions I'm this, I'm that didn't live up to this or that i'm a hero tailor to young black kings that want to play soccer kids in haiti and the caribbean you don't define success for me you weren't half of me no more free takes and in response to someone saying that twelman was criticizing him purely on sporting merit he responded that's fine my problem is this i'm not messy or the best to ever do it for the usa or anyone but i'm sure as hell not a failure i thrived in a game where it's hard for kids that look like me to thrive in the u.s we don't promote the positive side, only negative. Twelman responded, saying, No matter what we do on the field, it's what we do off the field that is most important as athletes. What Josie Altador is doing with his foundation, especially, is changing lives. Join me in supporting his cause. And Altador responded to that, saying, Your money can't fix this, quote, big, strong, powerful issue. Acknowledge it and be better. I don't want nor need your charity. And people clowned Altidore. People called him an a-hole for discrediting Twelman's career that ended, very sadly, due to many concussions. People clowned on him for being quote-unquote sensitive and unable to take criticism. People called him a failure because he failed to live up to the hype. And people called him jealous because he's no longer the U.S. men's national team's number one striker. And every single one of those people, who make up, frankly, the overwhelming majority of voices in this matter are all missing the larger part of the puzzle. He's talking about racism. 
He's talking about power and he's talking about discrimination against people who look like him. And we as USMNT fans are ignoring that. I tweeted about this, saying that yes, he did attack Twelman. The ethics of that are up for debate, but he brought up a good point. Our media teams in US soccer are overwhelmingly white. We don't have the representation of people of color in our soccer punditry and commentary. In fact, I can only think of a handful of POC working in those roles, and it's not for lack of talent, but other systematic issues keeping them back. And I think Twelman is a fine analyst, and he's done amazing things for social issues like concussion subs. But I think Josie is using him to represent the stereotypical, quote, white pundit. The same white pundits that define what success is for athletes and teams for the general public. Pundits like Twelman get to decide what is success and what is failure. They exaggerate for clicks, they rant and rave and they blow things up. That's their job. But when they call teams or athletes failures like Twelman did, it makes the general public view those athletes not just as failing to meet expectations by not qualifying for the Olympics or the World Cup, but failures as people for not doing that. People view Josie Altador as a failure as a human being. And he brought it up himself that he's not a failure. He's done great things off the field, and success to him is making it to the, this point despite being black, despite the odds being against him inspiring the next generation. Despite the fact that him being here, the fact that he's standing there wearing red, white, and blue is more than we thought was even possible for us, he's getting torn down for it. We as a country need to realize that our media and how we, they pressure athletes is unhealthy and is racially tinged. And is not something we can fix overnight. Twelman boosted his charity and he said, uh, this is being Altador of course, your charity won't fix it. And people made fun of him. But he's right. Our issues are so deep rooted that our culture, uh, throwing money at it won't exactly fix it. And it's just a way to ignore the issues. And that's just not enough. He's calling Twelman and white pundits out for not acknowledging the hardships of POC, for using stereotypical phrases to describe black players, and for being part of a business that has continually shut black people out. He's not jealous because he retweets every goal and assist that American players have scored abroad, even the guys who are taking his job. He's not sensitive and blindly attacking Twelman. It's obvious that he brought up his playing career to say that just because he played doesn't give him the right to single-handedly dictate what is success for brown and black players. And he certainly is not a failure. The USMNT community has failed to read between the lines, has failed to think about racism, and frankly, I honestly did see a lot of xenophobia, casual racism, and anti-blackness when people brought up this Twitter beef, and I just don't like that. We could all rally around explicit forms of racism, like the ones against Diacabi of Valencia this past weekend when he was racially abused on the field, but the second it makes us uncomfortable, the second someone we know gets called out aggressively, the second it's in our backyard, it goes from, quote, no room for racism to racism come on in. And I employ everyone who made fun of Josie Altador to really think about why he's saying it. Not just what he said or how he said it, but why. Be more empathetic, understand the larger contexts, and for the love of God, stop trying to bring up the fact that he's not a good player to discredit the actual issues that he's bringing up. There's no foolproof way to fix this racism in soccer, but we can start right there. Jack, I kind of went on for a while, but I just needed to get that off my chest after it was the biggest thing in U.S. soccer Twitter last week. What are your thoughts on this situation? Well, I agree on pretty much all fronts there. Like, I mean, 
he said it for a reason. And you, you said you can barely think of any, you know, uh, non-white commentators uh, for soccer. And I can only think of two. I had to do I had to do a lot of thinking while you were while you were talking about it. Yeah. Uh, the only two I could think of are Micah Richards with CBS uh, for the UCL and Shaka Hislop on ESPN FC uh, occasionally. Th- those are the only two I could think of that are non-white soccer pundits. And uh, you know, I think I think it, you're you're right. It's a it's a bit of a problem. And Josie Altador is right. There, there's got to be more efforts to include more voices in this game because that's what makes a lot of the game of soccer so beautiful. Uh, the fact that it can be enjoyed by a diverse group of people with diverse experiences. And, you know, it's something that can bring everyone together. But you can, you can question that why Josie Altidore to- chose to do it in this way. Sure. You can say that, right? But at, at the same time, AJ's right. You, you need to look at why he's saying it. There's a history of these issues. Every other week, we hear about some form of racist abuse towards a player. Uh, you know, a- after, after the Chelsea-West Brom game, there was racist abuse to, mm-hmm. uh, directed towards Callum Robinson because he scored twice against us. And that's not okay. You, you, if, if you are, are criticizing, you know, Josie Altador for why he's saying this and saying like it's not what what he's saying has no merit and at the same time you're acknowledging that these things happen you're living in two different worlds exactly exactly it makes no sense you've got to you've got to acknowledge both of these things and and say something has to be done I 100% agree Jack that is very very well said Um, let's move on to you know a, a more positive topic i suppose we always you know at the final third we'll always talk about racism we'll always talk about sexism xenophobia any form of discrimination because that's integral in our enjoyment of soccer it's always important to stamp those kind of things out of the soccer world and it's it's our duty to always talk about it discuss it in these soccer contexts but you know we'll always bring it up so let's move on to another one and in the future We'll talk about it some more. So let's move on now to the league race updates in Europe. We had a lot of really big games that could really shape the way that these title races are going to play out in the future towards the end of the season. Jack, what are the leagues in Europe looking like? Yeah, well, we're not going to talk about the Premier League as much because that's been tied up for a while. Yeah. But uh, we'll, we'll, we'll uh, talk about the other four big leagues in Europe. So... The Bundesliga, probably the most simplistic. Uh, Bayern pretty much wrapped up the title this weekend uh, by beating RB Leipzig 1-0. We'll talk about that more in the predictions section. Uh, they, they now have a seven-point lead in, uh, in the Bundesliga, seven games to go. It doesn't look like any of these other teams look like they're going to catch them, uh, especially since Bayern just keep on winning. So they, they look pretty safe to win. Uh, and as far as the European places go, it looks like the three team, the three other teams that are in there with Bayern are going to make it in. And those are RB Leipzig on 57 points, Wolfsburg with, uh, you know, the Rock John Anthony Brooks in defense uh, on 54 points, and Eintracht Frankfurt pretty much denied Dortmund UCL by winning 2-1 to one this weekend. Uh, 
and they're on 50 points, and Dortmund are seven points below that. So Yikes. it's looking very likely that those four teams will make it to the UCL, and Dortmund will make it to the Europa League. And who knows? They could they could probably win that competition. I, I, I think they could do it. So uh, it might not be terrible for them. Uh, but let's go on to one of my favorite leagues, just because it has one of my favorite teams, Serie A. And Inter Milan took a step closer to the title this weekend by winning 1-0 against Bologna, and thanks to a Rom- Romelu Lukaku goal. And, uh, you know, uh, they, they're eight points ahead of their city rivals. And uh, uh, they sit at 68 points. AC Milan are on 60 points. And below that, Atalanta are on 58 points after a 3-2 win uh, against Udinese this weekend. And Juventus stumbled this weekend, uh, drawing in the Turin Derby 2-2 against Torino. And they sit on 56 points with a game in hand. And Napoli are tied with them. They have the game in hand as well. Uh, and they're at 56 points as well. So, you know, it's uh, very interesting there. It looks like it's going to be those five who are going to be competing for those European places there. Lazio could make a run for it. Because they're also they also have a game in hand and they're on fifty two points, but it looks like those two are the most likely. It's kind of interesting though because those uh, it kind of continues this trend of northern dominance in Italian uh, in the Italian game, and it's continued for some time. But it's interesting, especially because there are three teams based in Milan who are at the very top of Serie A. So it's very it, I think that's kind of an interesting thing there. Uh, then we go to another one of my favorite leagues, uh, League Um, and this was this took a very unexpected turn this weekend that yeah. a lot of people didn't really expect. Lille beat PSG one to zero, which again we'll talk about in the predictions. Uh, but they took a three point lead at the top of League Um with seven games to go, and uh, you know PSG haven't been doing well against the top teams in League Um this season. And they sit at 63 points. And just below them, one point below, Monaco are surprisingly at 62 points. So they could even Whoa. make a run for second place. And one point below Monaco is Leon on 61 points. So five points separate these top four teams. Beyond that, though, it's, it's pretty much... It, that, those are the only four teams in contention for anything. Because right below uh, the next team, after Leon on 61 points is Lons on 49 points. So uh, it looks very unlikely that anything el- anyone below them is going to make anything out of this season. But, you know, it looks ever more likely that Lee- Lille will end up winning this league. And that would be surprising. And I don't think many would have expected that this season. But uh, all props to them. And then we have La Liga, which has taken a lot of turns. Atletico Madrid no longer look all that likely to win uh, the league. Barcelona have a game today uh, against uh, Valladolid, which could decide if they go one point below Atletico Madrid. And there's plenty of games still to go in this. There's nine games left this season for them. And Atletico Madrid sit first at 66 points. Their city rivals, Real Madrid, are on 63 points. And Barcelona, with a game in hand, are on 62 points. Sevilla are in fourth on 58 points. They made a big dent in Atletico Madrid's title hopes this past right. weekend, winning against them 1-0. to zero. 
with a Marcos Acuna goal from left back coming up uh, to shock Atletico Madrid. So we'll see how that one shakes out. It looks like those four teams are going to be the ones in contention for anything. Uh, Real Batis is in fifth place on 46 points, 12 points behind fourth place. So that's the state of those league title races. And, you know, uh, we're coming into the last month or so of the season. So this will be shaking out pretty quickly. But uh, expect a lot of change in... Uh, in probably Ligue 1 and La Liga towards the end of the season. Those are going to be the two to watch. Serie A would be interesting for everything below it, and Bundesliga is pretty much wrapped up. But that is the update on those leagues. Thank you so much, Jack. I'm very excited to see, in particular, Ligue 1 and La Liga, like you mentioned. I think it's going to be really interesting how those play out. I'm also excited to see if you know our Americans can... You know, keep it up, Sergino Dest with Barcelona and Timothy Weah with Lille. I'd love to see them lift a trophy at the end of the year. Uh, but one, pro- one team that's not going to be lifting up a trophy is the Sacramento Republic in MLS because they're not even going to get there. And with that, let's move on to our last story, which we are talking about, the Sacramento Republic San Diego expansion in MLS. As we reported on last month, Sacramento had their principal investor pull out of their MLS expansion bid. This had put a serious strain on their prospects of getting promoted up from the USL into MLS, and they need to find another rich investor to take control of the team. They have the tools, the large TV market, government backing, and an excited fan base to do well in MLS. All they need is an investor to pay the admittedly large bill. Enter San Diego. They were in the running for a spot uh, back a couple years ago for an MLS expansion space, but ultimately their bid kind of fizzled out once their stadium plans were turned down in favor of building a new football stadium for San Diego State University. But now, the MLS San Diego group and SDSU might be planning an arrangement that allows a potential MLS team to play in the 35,000 capacity Aztec Stadium in San Diego. And they're not the only teams. Las Vegas, Phoenix, and even Louisville in Kentucky have made moves to maybe try to capitalize on Sacramento's faltering position. And so with a lot up in the air, you know, you'd hate to see it for Sacramento, but there is a lot of excitement for those, a lot of expansion teams. Uh, Jack, before I give my answer, what, if you had to pick one singular city other than Sacramento, because I think we'd both agree that we'd probably want to see it stay in Sacramento, which city would you like to see this new expansion spot be given to? I think I think we we probably are going to agree on this, but I'd like to see it go to Phoenix. Uh, I I think the Southwest needs a lot more representation in MLS. Like there's kind of that block down there that just has nothing. So I, I'd really like to see it go to Phoenix. All right, cool. I I do agree with you. I am a very big Phoenix fan. Didier Drogba, I don't know if you know this, actually owns, is a partial owner of the Phoenix Rising uh, football team. So, you know, maybe we can see him, you know, on the sidelines, not playing, of course, but uh, uh, in MLS, I think that'd be, a, you know, a very, very cool thing. That would Las be Vegas, awesome. Las Vegas is also a, a cool option. I don't know if they necessarily deserve it. I think Phoenix is a bigger market. I would be interested to see San Diego. I think I really like San Diego as a city. They don't have any other professional teams other than the Padres. 
So there's a lot of of upside for for that. But of course, you want to see it go to Sacramento. I think they deserve it the most. Those are our, our five stories, big stories that we need, need to cover. But we also have some real quick stories just just right off the bat. We don't have much to say about them, but we just need to bring them out there. And number one is Sergio Aguero leaving Manchester City. After 10 years with the club, the Argentinian will be moving to a new club this summer. He leaves as one of the best strikers in PL history and a Manchester City legend, helping them reach four league titles, one FA Cup, five league cups, and potentially, potentially a Champions League this year. We don't know where he's going to go yet, but he has said that he'd like to stay in Europe. And you know, thank you, Sergio Aguero, for the amazing memories, even though it always sucks when you scored against West Ham. Inter Milan changed the logo to a more minimal logo featuring just the I and M instead of the regal IMFC from before. It's a very minimalist, stripped-down logo. They were really going for like that cool and hip vibe. And, you know, everybody hates it. I'll be honest, everybody hates it. But it's going to sell more merchandise. It's going to appease the sponsors and corporate partners. You know, we see a lot of these clubs go towards more simplified logos, even if it, you know, honestly means that they lose a piece of history, even if they lose identity with the change. And because of that, many fans are upset. We saw this with Juventus, even though I think this has to be worse than the Juventus change. That's just my opinion, though. But when you have clubs trying to rebrand in order to build more buzz, it always just makes the fans mad and ultimately the teams don't really care. Oh, well. NWSL is back. That's a positive right there. The NWSL National Women's Soccer League opens up their 2021 Challenge Cup this weekend. And we had a Challenge Cup last year. This is another one. Ten teams will be split into two groups of five. Each team will play the other four teams in their group once for a total of four games per team. The winners of each group go off to face each other in the Challenge Cup final. You can catch the first round of group stages this Friday with Houston Dash versus Chicago Red Stars and the Portland Thorns versus Kansas City on Paramount Plus and the CBS Sports Network. We're going to talk about that Houston Dash Chicago game in the prediction section as well. And just this morning, we got some pretty big news I want to mention. Concussion subs in MLS. We talked about concussion subs going into the Premier League as a test, and now they're coming to MLS. And I think most other U.S. soccer leagues, including USL, NISA, NWSL, uh, like, like we said before, it's going to be three subs, or in this case with MLS, five subs, plus two concussion subs that get to bring in when the referee decides that a player has been uh, traumatized in the head too much to go on. And when that happens, the opposing team gets to have an, uh, an additional sub on their own in order to preserve the competitive integrity of the game. Honestly, I think it's a very good thing. Players' health always matters. I don't really think that people are going to be faking head injuries. I think that's an overstated problem. And honestly, if it means that there's going to be less concussions or at least more concussion mitigation, that's always, always a positive. That's a real quick section. We actually don't have a going jack in time section because, you know, last yesterday actually was Easter. We were all, Jack and I, both busy hanging out with our family, doing some some Easter activities. So we're not going to do that uh, today. But I actually have a USMNT corner that's going to involve the both of us, Jack, because we're talking about Christian Pulisic. We're talking about Chelsea, your favorite team, my not so favorite team, but one of my favorite players. And so let's get into the USMNT corner where we talk about a big 
big issue with the U.S. men's national team. Talk about a big topic. And that's if Pulisic should leave Chelsea. We talked about this bit before, but the USMNT Chelsea FC winger has had, you know, a couple of good games recently. Getting an assist in their UCL game against Atletico Madrid, getting man of the match in their FA Cup match, and scoring this past weekend against West Brom. He also scored a penalty in the Northern Ireland US friendly. But he has struggled to find a place in the Chelsea squad this season, finding sparse time between for the Blues between both Frank Lampard and Thomas Tuchel. But his class and talent has always shown through while on the field. The big problem? Injuries. Jack, this, uh, this is crazy to hear. When I was doing research, I was like, wow, that's, this is insane. Because out of the 30 games in the league so far, he's only started 11 and has only played 41% of the possible minutes. In fact, he had to miss about 10 games due to injuries or knocks. And out of his entire time with Chelsea so far, he's missed 28 games from nine injuries in two seasons. And this past weekend, like you said before, he felt some hamstring tightness and asked to be subbed off. Many US and Chelsea fans are worried about his durability, and it seems like he might not be able to be dependent on long-term due to his hamstrings and calves not being able to keep up. You have talented Chelsea attackers like Mount, Havertz, and Ziyech, talented wingers for the US team like Weya, who played well in Lille's 1-0 win over PSG, Aronson, who had an assist for Salzburg this weekend, and Reyna, who was also there. If he's constantly injured, constantly uh, being sidelined, Pulisic is going to be looked past. We talked about Pulisic potentially leaving, uh, and both Jack and I decided that he has the talent to try to make it in and usurp the likes of Ziyech and Havertz, but this is different. This isn't sporting-driven, but rather injury-driven. Should Pulisic leave Chelsea because of his injury problems, and go to a potentially less physically demanding league. Jack, I'm going to ask you before I give you know, both sides of the argument, what do you personally think as a casual U.S. fan and a diehard Chelsea fan? Well, here, here's, my, here's my take, just because I, I, I just pulled up the Chelsea app because I remember seeing a, a little bit the, that they posted about Pulisic's injury yesterday, and it actually seems like that instance was a good bit of injury management because he felt a little bit of soreness and asked to be subbed off before he, you know, he could go out and damage it potentially more. So I think that he should stay because it looks like the club is, you know, starting to look a little bit more at some injury management and less about, you know, like just getting injured and then recovering, playing for a little bit and getting injured again. So it looks like they're trying to make it work for him as well as possible. And I, I personally think he should stay because I think he's one of Chelsea's best attackers. He's usually one of the best, especially when we have some forwards who just can't seem to shoot. Cough, cough, Timo Werner. Uh, but, you know, I, I think he should stay because he is a great talent and he really benefits Chelsea. Yeah, I mean, he, he's obviously had had the talent. He's always had the talent. I mean, he played really well in Project Restart. He's played know decently well this season but the issue is with those injuries and you bring up load management i don't know because it's just when you constantly have to have your injuries managed you have to have your playing time managed it comes to the point where you're just barely playing at all you're not really making a difference for the team and it, it, it's like he he even barely plays for chelsea because he just has to constantly be managed 
he can't really get into his stride because it seems like he's always has to be too cautious. And so when we talk about like, oh, that's a good thing that he was a uh, low advantage at the same time, you kind of have to hope that he doesn't have to do this forever. And, you know, potentially he won't. I mean, we have Tim Weah. He was getting pretty heavily managed with his minutes uh, for Lille earlier this season. But when you have our star player, Christian Pulisic, having to do this and still getting hamstring tightness, getting calf tightness, it brings up a lot of questions. And so there are two sides to this story. On one hand, you have people who are saying, yes, you know, the PL is a very physically demanding league, especially being one of the only leagues to not have a winter break. It's tough on muscles. And it's not like he can really, he can't go to another really good team in the Bundesliga, La Liga, or Serie A and completely light it up. He has the talent to do that. If you want him to stay healthy and develop, maybe putting him in a better situation could do that. You'd hate to have him sidelined on and off until the 2022 World Cup. So that, you know, that's one side of the story. People really want him to reach his potential, and they look at the load management injuries as holding him back. On the other hand, you don't want him to move him just to move him. He enjoys Chelsea, and it might make things worse if he has to adapt to a new place. There's also something to be said about running away from your problems. Why try to move to a new club to fix a problem when you can just go to a specialist who can work with him one-on-one to fix his muscle issues? And he'd be leaving a good situation at Chelsea for an uncertain situation at another club. And what about him psychologically? Would it actually be better for him to just resign himself as a bust at Chelsea to go to another team? Maybe that's too harsh, but you understand what I mean. The bottom line is, he's been sidelined for a long time. He requires constant load management that at some points, his maximum playing time has just been 30 minutes off the bench, 10 minutes off the bench. Something either with Chelsea or with another club, needs to change. Personally, I think just try to work out what's causing it. And if it doesn't really work out with that, if he can't make it work, make a move to like a club like Milan or Atletico Madrid or Bayern, something like that. Whether that's now or a couple windows from now, it doesn't matter. Just try to exhaust every option before you pull the transfer trigger. Jack, do you agree with that? Do you think that he should... Uh, work out with Chelsea. I know, I know you want him to stay, but you know, if that doesn't happen, then would you be okay with him making a move? Well, I, I guess so. I mean, <laughs> see, I, I really, I really think he has the, he has what it takes to be like, you know, Eden Hazard's replacement because that, that's what Chelsea need because Eden Hazard was the type of player who changed games for us. Pulisic has the same pl- a potential, probably even a higher ceiling in some in some levels, honestly. Sure. And I, 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 I guess like if it's best for his career yet, sure. But I, I think he has what it takes to cut it in the Premier League. It's just it's just a, a matter of figuring out what the issue is. I think the summer will be a really good time to like you know right after the season ends. I know there's the Gold Cup. I know there's uh, Olympic qualifying and stuff like that, but not Olympic qualifying. I should be sorry. To do Nations that. League, right? Yeah, Nations League. Sorry, my bad. I, I again, I don't follow the U.S. team as that much as much as you do, but uh, you know, I I think that there could be like some time to you know look at you know maybe is there something that they can do to uh, change those injury problems because you know these clubs have uh, sports nutrition directors and like uh, uh, you know sports medicine uh, professionals who can figure this sort of stuff out. But in the hectic, uh, like, 
you know, the hectic nature of the league season, it's a little bit tough to do that. So we'll see if uh, if uh, that can happen. I'm hopeful. But if it doesn't work out, you know, maybe he could move to Atlanta. I, th- I think he'd fit in well there, <laughs> you know. Uh, that would be nice. But what, what I, I, I do want what's best for him. Yeah, it sounds like you just want him to move from one club you support to another club. Well, but that would be nice, yeah. Yeah, th- that would be very nice. I mean, I'd love to have him at West Ham. I think he'd, <laughs> he'd be great. But, you know, I-, I do like what you just said. I mean, I don't think he's going to play both the Nations League and the Gold Cup. The Nations League is only going to be two games. So have him play those if he's healthy. And then give him the entire summer to rest, like train, make sure his muscles are all in order. Like, I can't remember the last time he had a prolonged break that wasn't also him recovering from an injury. Because, you know, uh, they had, like, no summer break last year. And then for the COVID break, he was still recovering from, what, uh, uh, a tendon injury, something like that, a calf, hamstring, whatever. Every single injury, it seems like it's... It's always in a different place other than his hamstrings. But, you know, having an entire summer where he's, you know, relatively healthy and like his only thing that he's focusing on is making sure that he has the durability to continue. I think that's a great idea. Uh, That's the U.S. Men's National Team corner for his sake, for Chelsea's sake and for U.S. soccer's sake. Let's hope that he can figure something out, whether that's with Chelsea or with another club. And, you know, that's kind of the, the, the big topic that has been going around the u.s community so i think we talked about that fine let's go on to the prediction section where we talk about last week's and this week's predictions let's start with last week's predictions obviously jack why don't you kick us off with leicester city versus manchester city in the premier league and walk us through the scoring system for our predictions game yeah so as always uh getting the correct winner gets you 10 points uh getting the exact result correct gets you 20 points and getting none of that right gets you of course zero points but starting off with leicester versus man city manchester city continued an impressive run of form cementing their place at the top of the league with a win at the king power home of leicester city While the first half ended in a stalemate, both sides presented some meaningful chances to go ahead, but nobody could really break through either Schmeichel or Ederson. However, City came out of the half the far far and away the stronger team, with Benjamin Mendy, the left-back, surprisingly breaking the deadlock in the 58th minute. Riyad Mahrez tried to create some chaos in the box. Uh, He tried a shot. It was deflected out. Rodri tried to cross it to the back post. It got halfway cleared out and the clearance dropped at Benjamin Mendy's feet. He did not miss, and he made it 1-0, and City cemented the win with a 74th-minute tap-in from Gabriel Jesus, collecting a cutback from uh, Raheem Sterling, I believe it was, and just slotting it past Schmeichel. So the champions-elect put on another strong showing in their romp to the title. AJ guessed 1-3 to three for 10 points. I guessed the same and got 10 points. Logan was a little bit closer, guessing 1-2, to two, but he gets 10 points as well. Yeah, very exciting start uh, to the week. We all got 10 points from that. And this next one, we didn't actually get all 10 points. This is RB Leipzig versus Bayern Munich in the Bundesliga. It was a pretty big game. It was in a potential upset that actually ended up going to the expected favorites as Bayern Munich extended their lead over the Bundesliga with a 1-0 win over RB Leipzig. 
Leipzig admittedly did a good job keeping this matchup relatively even, even outshooting Bayern 14-9. But in the end, experience and poise won out. A 38th-minute Goretzka goal kept this matchup to a conservative 1-0. And Bayern Munich was able to do this without Lewandowski, without their leading goal scorer. The fact that they're able to take out the second-place Bundesliga team in pretty, you know, honorable fashion does sell, say a lot about not only their title hopes, not only their, their standings in European football, but just who they are as a team. I guessed 1-2 to two, to Bayern Munich for 10 points. Jack and Logan both didn't believe in Bayern Munich. They didn't believe in, the, in Super Bayern. Jack said 2-2 two, two for 0 points. Logan said 2-1 for RB Leipzig for 0 points as well. Jack, from 1 first place versus second place matchup to another take us to PSG versus Lille in Liga. Well, yeah, honestly, this was quite a shocking result. PSG started out on the front foot uh, right from the get-go. Get they put in shots, uh, but Mike Magnon, the future French national team number one, uh, I, I'm manifesting it, kept them mm. out. Uh, however, against the run of play, Lille broke away with a strong run by Jonathan Ikone who ran down almost the entire field on the right flank and crossed it over to Canadian Jonathan uh, David, who uh, took a touch, sent Navas the wrong way, and calmly slipped it past him as he was flailing for the 1-0 lead for Lille. And it was all PSG for the rest of the game, though. Uh, Lille was content to sit back. They have one of the best defenses in the league. And PSG outshot Lille 16-3 overall. Uh, but they just couldn't break through. There was drama at the end, though, with Neymar and, uh, of PSG and Dijalo of Lille getting into a bit of a scuffle after Dijalo made a challenge on Neymar, and both got a second yellow card and were dismissed in the final minute of the match. So PSG are going to be missing Neymar for a game or two. I think it's just yeah. a game. Uh, but Lille are looking ever closer to winning league on and PSG look vulnerable with Monaco only one point behind them and Leon only two points behind that. So AJ guessed 2-0 to PSG uh. for zero points. I guessed a 1-1 draw for zero points. Very close. And Logan just had it the wrong way. 1-0 to PSG for zero points. But, you know, none of us really expected it, but that's what makes this such an exciting result. Yeah, I agree. And I'm really excited to see of that league plays out. And another important game would have to be the Copa del Rey final. Not this year's Copa del Rey final, actually last year's Copa del Rey final, because it got canceled due to COVID. They decided to play it one year later. And with Athletic Club versus Real Sociedad, a little Basque derby for you. Real Sociedad won 1-0 and have won not only this trophy, but it was their first major title since 1987. Out of Bilbao and them, they were clearly the better side, despite the scoreline being so close. A 63rd-minute Oyarzabal penalty was the difference maker between these two Basque sides. And the next 2020-2021 final will be held Saturday, April 17th, between Athletic Bilbao and Barcelona. So Athletic Club have another chance to redeem themselves and maybe win this year's title However, Barcelona have to be the favorites due to form and due to just club stature. I said 1-0 to zero for Athletic Club for zero points. Jack joined me with 
uh, cheering on Athletic Club. He's guessed two to one for zero points. And Logan, Logan not only saw the light with the result, he saw the light with the score line going one to zero for Real Sociedad. We all kind of guessed a conservative matchup, and that's exactly what happened. He gets 20 points from that and puts himself in a pretty, pretty good lead with that. And Jack, the final game, you know, we talked about these are all huge games. And now we're going to talk about two mid-table sides, you know, I'll be honest. So why don't you take it away with Liverpool versus Arsenal? Yeah, well, uh, one thing, I'm just going to preface this by saying the one thing that uh, AJ and I forgot in this is that Liverpool were playing away from home. So I guess it's not all that shocking that they won. Uh, The sides were even going into the break. Uh, 0-0, it it looked to be a pretty boring game, honestly, after the break. Uh, But, you know, after after that, a second-half flurry from the Merseyside team was just too much for the Gunners. Diogo Jota, the man of the moment for Liverpool, struck first in the 64th minute, and Salah quickly added on a second on 68 minutes. And right at the end of the game, uh, right when Arsenal just wanted the game to end, Jota got a brace in the 84th minute, and Liverpool ran out deserved winners, 0-3. And to put it quite frankly, the reason why they won, they outgunned the Gunners. Nice. 16 shots to 3. So uh, AJ guessed 1-2 to two, uh, for 0. Again, not uh, underestimating Liverpool away from home. I did the same. I, I said 0-1 to one to Arsenal. Uh, I, I think I might have misspoke on AJ's. It was 1-2 to two to Arsenal. Uh, yes. And then uh, Logan guessed 1-0 to zero to Liverpool. He believed in them, uh, and he gets 10 points for that. So the standings for this week, I got 10 points. That was Yikes. Uh, really my worst week, I think, ever. Uh, AJ didn't do too much better. Uh, he got <laughs> 20 points. Uh, but Logan reestablishes the dominance of the guest predictors and gets 40 points, more than both AJ and I combined. Uh, so he kind of <laughs> redeemed the stateside soccer show after Jordan and I drew. Uh, so uh, we'll have to have them on again sometime to see to settle that score over uh, once again. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty disappointed, but it's also pretty funny to see that, that Logan is, let's be honest, the better host. I'll say it, the better host in stateside soccer history. I think I think in order to have that title of better host, you need to come on to the final third podcast and be the better predictor. I think that's what what makes you the better host. Uh, Jack, what do you think for next week? Do you think you'll be able to come back and bounce back? Well, I'm hoping so. I, I mean, this this week, a, a bit of a spoiler. We don't have a guest just because, you know, in in the chaos of Easter weekend, we we kind of. Didn't uh, didn't didn't find anyone to to come on yes. just because you know we we wanted a pretty low key episode so we're 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 gonna try and rebuild our confidence on this one with just competing against each other after such a shambolic performance this past weekend. Yes, but we expect to see a guest next week and hopefully we can we can take it to the house once again. But with that, let's go on to next week's predictions. It's just Jack versus me. Let's get started with some pretty intense, exciting matchups, starting with Bayern versus PSG. I'll, I'll talk about this real quick. PSG seem vulnerable, even with Neymar, even with Mbappe, even with Di Maria and their entire squad. They seem to be struggling. 
And a lot of that is the midfield that we highlighted in a couple deep dives ago. That's a potential problem point. Even if Bayern won't have Lewandowski, I believe they have the raw talent and skill that they showed this past weekend beating RB Leipzig to beat them out, especially at Allianz Arena, which that, 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 that's their, that's their stadium name, right? Allianz Arena. I'm not, yeah, I'm not yeah. Gonna... By, Bayern's, Bayern have the same stadium name as Minnesota United. Yes, yes. yes. Okay. Just making sure, but I do think that they are going to beat PSG two to one. I think PSG might get a, a consolation away goal, but I see this firmly in Bayern Munich's hands. Jack, what do you think? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, Bayern coped well without Lewandowski last weekend, and PSG just can't seem to beat top teams that well, except if they're Barcelona. That's that's about it. Uh, but you know, Bayern Munich are strong even without Lewandowski. They've got they've got proven players who know how to win. They've got Thomas Muller, Leon Goretzka, uh, Joshua Kimmich. That midfield is incredible, and it provides so many goals for them. And ultimately, I think. I think they're going. They're going to win this one. Uh, PSG. I, I. I. I like. I like them just because they represent France well. But I think Bayern are going to win this rematch of the final. And I think it's going to be kind of conservative just because they're without Robert Lewandowski. I'll go two to one for Bayern. Whoa! So we have the same scoreline for that. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, we I think, like we think, you know what? Actually. Just, oh. just to change it, just to change okay. it. Okay, I'll, I'll change it just, just because of that. I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say it's a goal fest actually, and go three to two. Let's go. That's gonna bite you in I the know. butt. Oh, so I, I absolutely bad. know. It's gonna be great though. It makes great okay. content. Every time you say three two, you know the rule. You know the podcast rule. It's, it's going to be a zero zero draw. Now you. Hey, well, that helps it. me too. If, if it ends up being a zero zero, now it helps out. It works out well. Okay, that you know, that's true. Uh, we're going on to another Champions League match, but this time, CONCACAF Champions League. It's Cub Leon versus Toronto FC. Leon may be a mid-table club in Liga MX, but Toronto FC are going to be traveling down to Mexico for their first competitive match since last fall with a new head coach and no new significant signings. This is the only... It was this round of 16 CCL matchup. I'm comfortable enough to say that the MLS team is losing. Other the MLS teams in this competition, you know, the Timbers, Atlanta United, Crew, and Philadelphia, I believe that they'll be able to do well. This one, I'm just, I'm just not feeling it. It's Liga MX versus MLS and not MLS's best side currently. I think it's going 2-0 to zero for Club Leon. Uh, it's going to be a rough one. Jack. Do you think Toronto FC has what it takes to go down to Mexico and take back some points? I don't know. I, I, I really don't Darn. think so. Club Leon right now are on really good form. They've In their past three games, they have won all three of them. And, uh, you know, the one thing, though, that I think is, is very telling about Club Leon is that they have pretty much never kept a clean... They've kept, like, one clean sheet this entire season. I, I misspoke. It's actually two uh, out of uh, 13 games. So I think Toronto might be able to sneak a goal in there. Uh, and because of that, I'm going to say it's going to go two to one for Club Leon. Two to one. I like it. Who, who's going to score Toronto FC's lone goal? Do you have any idea? I, I'm, I'm going to go. It's going to be Michael Bradley just to make just to make all of the USMNT <laughs> fans 
a little bit mad about it. I love it. I love it. Well, you know, from from one possibly uh, chalk matchup, it's going to be a Club Leon win to one where we might actually not know the result. It's it's kind of even it's Juventus versus Napoli in Syria. Jack, who is taking this one? Yeah, well, these sides just faced off in February, and Napoli, surprisingly, came out the winners in this one. So, uh, But ultimately, I think this might be a bit of a shocker, but I'm going to go for Napoli to win this one. Uh, I, I'm, ki- I'm kind of worried about them, though, because they struggled to beat Crotone, the worst team in Serie A this past weekend. They, they had a seven-goal thriller against them, winning 4-3. to three, And... But besides that, they have won four of their last four matches and against decent teams too, AC Milan, Roma. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think that they can do this. By contrast, Juventus are coming off of some pretty bad results. You know, they got knocked out of the out of the Champions League. Uh, They drew to Torino. They lost to Benevento. It's not looking great for them. And just because of that, I'm going to say that Napoli come out and win this one. 1-0 1-0 to zero once again, repeating what they did before. All right. Napoli are playing very well. Juventus, as you said, are inconsistent at times. Juventus, to their credit, did have to uh, suspend some of their players internally due to a party that Weston McKenney, you know, one of my favorite players, unfortunately held. Uh, he had some teammates over. I'm, I'm forgetting who was there, but they were like, Three to four first team players who had to miss out on the Turin Derby due to their suspensions. So they'll have them back for Napoli. That's that's very, very good. My heart says Juventus because I want Weston McKenney to do well. I, I, I like Juventus just fine. My head says Napoli because I do know that currently they are the better team. But but my gut, Jack, my gut. Okay says that this is going to be a tie. The, right now, they're tied on points, 56 to 56. I just can't separate the two. I'm going to go with a 1-1 draw. Uh, Lozano to score for Napoli. And no, I'm going to go Quadrado for Juventus. I don't even know okay. if, he's, okay. if, if he's playing a lot. Uh, but, I, you know, screw it. I'm, I'm going to go with that for uh, that big matchup, North versus South matchup in Italy. And next, we have another North and South matchup, but this time in America. And that's Houston Dash versus Chicago Red Stars in the NWSL Challenge Cup that is kicking off this weekend. We're so excited to watch on CBS. A rematch of the NWSL Challenge Cup final in 2020 is going to be opening up the 2021 season. It's going to be really exciting. And honestly, for me personally, it's hard to pick. Houston have Mewis, Dolly Jane Campbell, Katie Stengel, but Chicago has the likes of Julie Ertz, Mallory Pugh, Casey Kruger. I'm personally going to go with Houston for home field advantage for a couple reasons, not just home field advantage, but also because they did win that NWSL Challenge Cup final back in 2020. I don't know enough about the transfers in NWSL to know if they really, they really kicked it up a notch. But like I said before, the home field advantage is significant. They didn't lose a single home match last year when they were actually in Houston in BBVA Compass Stadium or whatever they're calling it nowadays. So to me, well, that's that's pretty that's pretty positive. They're going to be playing in the humidity of Houston. I think they're going to be ready for Chicago. 
That's why I said, mm, actually, I don't know. I'm going to go with a 2-0 win for Houston. Jack, what do you think? All right, so you're predicting a repeat of that score line yes, I am. from yes, that, I am. the Challenge Cup final. You know, I, I think Chicago are looking for some revenge. I, I think they're looking out for some revenge. And, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for Chicago because I think they, they can do this. They've got, some gr- they've got great history. They've got great players right now. Their goalkeeper is the U.S. women's national team, number one, in Alyssa Nair. Uh, and, you know, they've got excellent forwards. They've got great defenders. I think they can do this. They're looking to redeem themselves from that disappointing Challenge Cup loss. So I'm going to say they win this 1-0 to zero, uh, against the Houston Dash. It'll be tough. I think because it's, I, I was going to say 2-0, to zero, but since they're away from home, I'll go for a much more conservative 1-0 to zero draw. Or not draw, win for Chicago. Uh, and yeah, I, 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 I think this will be an exciting one to watch. All right. Another exciting one. My, some might say it's exciting. Some might say it's, it's a boring matchup. Some might say, you know, who even cares about this matchup? It's just two small mid-table sides known as Real Madrid versus Barcelona. Something I think called, I don't know, the, the El Clasico. I don't know. There's something stupid like that in, in, in La Liga. Jack, who, who's taking this matchup between the two Spanish giants? Well, this is, this is going to be a really cool matchup to watch just because this also has season-defining implications for both yes. of these teams. Uh, Real Madrid and Barcelona are currently separated by one point. Depending on the result from today, that could be a two-point gap. Uh, but, you know, this, uh, whoever wins this could be the one who is more, or is going to be the one who's more likely to challenge for the title this season. And overall, like Barcelona have been playing really well. And to be fair, Real Madrid haven't been playing terribly either. They, you know, they beat Ibar this past weekend. They beat Celta Vigo. They beat Atalanta in the Champions League as well. But that I think is what the difference is. Barcelona don't have the Champions League to worry about, but Real Madrid have a game against Liverpool coming up this weekend, and they're playing at Anfield, I believe, as well. I don't think that game got moved. It might have, and I might have missed that, but, uh, you know, I think that's going to be the difference. Real Madrid are going to be tired. They already have a lot of injuries, and they're, they're playing a tough midweek game. And because of that, I'm going to say, that uh, Barcelona win this one, Whoa. two to one. I'm gonna say Barcelona win it two to one. Wow, wow! I I, I just looked it up by the way, and they're gonna be playing in Real Madrid's yeah, uh, I, temporary I, stadium. I, uh, I I realized they got that the opposite way. I was looking at the wrong <laughs> the wrong game. But but to be fair, Real Madrid then play uh, Liverpool like what literally the week after exactly, the Wednesday yeah. after Barcelona. So they, uh, they had a, a really hard run of three games coming up. Barcelona have been on good form, not losing since their PSG game. Real Madrid are also on good form, not losing since, what, their Levante game back in January, something like that. Like you said, Real Madrid have to worry about the Champions League. That's going to be very hard. But when you look at the head-to-head, this is one of the most even matchups of all time. Real Madrid got the better of Barcelona at, at Barcelona's home stadium. Uh, that's not something that necessarily happens all the time. But 
Barcelona also, you know, beat Real Madrid at at their home stadium. So it's it, it's it's very very even. And I think with Barcelona's, you know, kind of struggle against top level teams, along with Real Madrid's split focus between La Liga and Champions League, I think this has a one one tie written all over it. It's it's gonna be a big matchup. I think it's gonna be one of my favorite games that I'll be seeing. And just because I said that's going to be a zero zero draw, but <laughs> I, I like you said before, this is going to be a very very big title defining game, and another title defining game because it literally is a title game is a bonus that we're throwing in here, Jack. I don't know if you had a score line, but I figured maybe we can throw in a, a bonus a bonus points for this match. Uh, maybe like instead of ten points, it's five points if you get the result right. And if you get it correct, you get 10 points, like the actual scoreline. All right. This is Gonzaga versus Baylor in the NCAA March Madness bracket. Uh, we, we hosted a bracket challenge for any U.S. soccer fan that also was interested in uh, making a bracket for March Madness. And we had Gonzaga versus Baylor, the two f- first seeds out of uh, their respective sides of the bracket, come out on top and are meeting... Uh, it's going to be an exciting game. Jack, I know you're a Gonzaga fan. Or, yeah, you at least want them to win, because that's who you picked to win the entire thing. Who do you think is going to take this? Do you believe in Gonzaga? Well, you're right. I am a Gonzaga fan. Like, that. that's actually where I considered going to college. And, and, oh, wow. Uh, and I actually worked there as well for uh, some, some other stuff. So I, I have some ties to Gonzaga. And, yeah, I'm going to pick them to win, because in my bracket, I picked them to win. Uh, I, my predicted scoreline that I have in here, uh, after watching them against UCLA, I'm a little less confident in the <laughs> 92 to 76 scoreline I predicted. Whoa. Uh, but I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna turn that down a little bit and say it's gonna be closer. And well, I I'm not great at predicting scores for basketball, but I'm gonna go like 75 for Gonzaga to 70 for Baylor. They're both really good teams, but. I, I, Jalen Suggs, I believe in him. The boy from Minnesota, he's going to do it again. Jalen Suggs is incredible. And Drew Timmy with the mustache, that was an incredible game. And we tweeted, I tweeted about this. It was one of my favorite basketball games that I've ever seen. I think the FA Cup and other such cup competitions can learn a lot from them. Uh, but for me, for me, Jack, I don't know. I, I don't know if I believe in Gonzaga Gonzaga kind of struggled against UCLA this past weekend. So I'm going to go with Baylor, actually. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to split the difference between us. And I'm going to say that Baylor is going to win this 79-68. to 68. I think Gonzaga wow. are a very good team. But I think this might be the end of their, their undefeated season. I think Baylor has what it takes to just snap them in half. Jack, how are you feeling about your predictions? Because... I, I think we had a lot of different results here that could end up uh, deciding who takes the, these this week. You know, uh, I think I'm feeling pretty good about them, but I feel like the Bayern versus PSG one. I'm hoping that because I predicted a high scoring one, it really backfires and goes for a zero zero. But we'll we'll see. Um, uh, otherwise, like I, I feel pretty good about most of these. I, I think I think I have a chance. All right. All right. I'm feeling pretty good especially for uh my juventus napoli and real madrid barcelona i i always feel confident about the draws <laughs> and with that 
Jack, thank you for joining me in the final third podcast. As always, it was nice to have you. Do you have anything to say to our many listeners listening currently? Yeah, as always, make sure to follow our Twitter at Final Third Show. Our Instagram has the same exact username. Uh, you can check us out on there. We're definitely way more active on Twitter. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you're also going to want to keep an eye out uh, for April 17th, I believe, is, is the day uh, where yes. Minnesota United plays Seattle Sounders. AJ and I are planning on doing some live commentary thing over it. We, we're still trying to figure out what platform to use, but... Uh, so, you know, if you have any suggestions, you can DM us on Twitter and, and let us know, uh, your suggestions for what to use for live streaming things and all that good stuff. But, uh, we'll hope, we hope you, you join us on that to get, you know, live reactions from Minnesota fans, whether we get revenge on Seattle or if we lose yet again, uh, but it'll be a fun time. Yes. And I am so excited for that. I'm so excited for what this next you know couple months has to bring for us we have a lot of great things in the pipeline let's just say spring has sprung and with that that's the end of our podcast as always don't forget to leave a review and we'll highlight your review on apple Podcasts or podcast addict don't forget to tell a friend you don't understand how much that helps us tell your dad even i'm sure he'd love to hear about how what we think of the Gonzaga Baylor game that at this point probably already happened when you listen to this podcast but just just let them know let them know we'll see you guys this Thursday for our deep dive for the Western Conference MLS season and we'll see you same time same place for next week's news and prediction episode see ya bye for now <laughs>